Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. I got a great guest in Mr. Jeffrey Madoff, the man behind Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. His college course book, his podcast really destroys the myth that artists and, and creatives, you know, can't be good business people. I think we hear a lot of that narrative and in the world that we live in nowadays with, you know, creativity being something that is really being rewarded, whether it's, you know, on TikToks, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's through a lot of the creative channels that are out there nowadays. You know, I think a lot of people think that because you're creative, you can't be a good entrepreneur and a good business owner. And uh, it was really fun having this conversation with Jeff. Obviously, he is a very successful, you know, best-selling author, has spoken at all different types of events, been a guest on the Tim Ferriss Show, um, and he is a professor at the Parsons School for Design, and he teaches uh, this particular course, but um, has a really cool entrepreneurial journey himself, uh, has worked with you know major brands such as Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, Radio City Music Hall. Um, and it was kind of fun going through this process with him, hearing about how his latest project, what he's most excited about is um, a creative play that he has worked on. And this was kind of a new vehicle and path for him, uh, being that uh, he has never written or produced a play. And I think that's something that, as we unpacked it, is so relatable to so many entrepreneurs. You know, taking a new idea and, and a passion and finding out how do you bring that to life, especially when you have no experience or track record in it. And he talked about how he overcame those particular areas of I don't have any experience in a play and getting it to the level that it has now been at, uh, how he raised money and got people to invest in the play without having that track record of success yet, how he was able to get, you know, Emmy and Tony award-winning people bought into his vision and participating in that and how that collaboration with people, their investment of time and resources allowed him to take an idea, something that he was passionate about as a creative and turn it into a real business. Of course, we unpacked a lot of other things, you know, in the show, um, but I think you guys are really going to enjoy this particular episode in terms of just how this entrepreneurial journey can unfold for anyone and how you can make that a success. And so if you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to check out all the show notes at millionairemindcast.com on Jeff's episode. Leave a review. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And without any further ado, let's introduce Mr. Jeff Madoff in today's episode right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. 
These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Well, I'm excited to welcome into the show, Jeff Madoff. How we doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Absolutely. I am, you know, intrigued and curious uh, first and foremost about New York City. You're in the Upper West Side. You've got so many cool things going on. I know we're going to be digging into the book, The Creative Careers, uh, Making a Living with Your Ideas. But um, what are you most excited about uh, for the season of New York City right now and what you've got going on? Well, you know, I look at every day that I get up, look out the window, struggle to get out of bed and wake up, you know, and and then it's kind of up for grabs from there. And uh, there are things that I'm working on that I'm really excited about, such as my play, which had its world premiere in March. And now we're expanding it and moving it to a larger venue, which is really exciting. Uh, Going to be opening in Chicago. In spring of 23. Yeah, it's, it is. It's very exciting. It's a whole new journey for me. So that's really cool. And, um, you know, it's, I finished some meeting earlier today that came from out of nowhere, essentially, that was very interesting. And I kind of look at every day as a potential invest adventure of some sort. You know, because I've kind of got a boundless curiosity about things and get contacted from a lot of different realms. And uh, sometimes things pan out and are cool. Some things, I'm wondering, why am I in this conversation? Right. <laughs> you know, how do I end it politely? Uh, you know, but um, I, I find people and the exchange of ideas in and of itself, just this wonderful bouquet to take part of. And I really enjoy it. So I sort of dine on that. I don't dine on bouquets. I don't eat flowers. Let's say a banquet. Let's call it a banquet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start this interview over. I'll call it a banquet, not a bouquet. But, uh, you know, I think that one of the reasons I'm in New York, Matt, is that I'm a stimulus junkie. I just love being around people doing things, you know, and who are striving to do different things and looking to put things together. And it just creates an energy that I respond to. And where did your creativity all begin? Where, where, what was the root of your kind of creative journey and how that led you into this entrepreneurial path that you've been on for your career? Uh, it all started with birth. And uh, <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> yeah. Once I came out of my mom, I looked around, thought, what's next? You know, and it's sort of been like that ever since. Uh, I, I, I do think, speaking seriously for only a moment, uh, that, you know, I was very fortunate because my parents 
always encouraged me to be creative or really encouraged me to express myself, which manifests in creativity. And so, you know, creativity gets shut down at people in a very young age. Sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's teachers, sometimes it's peers. But I think that that the root is in the home uh, and then in schooling, because I think that your peers don't really know much yet when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can hurt when somebody makes fun of you or your ideas. And so you need to have that thick enough skin as opposed to shutting down to keep yourself willing to express, willing to experiment, willing to explore. So I, I was very fortunate that my parents uh, armored me well for a creative life. And what was kind of your first creative endeavor that was more in the entrepreneurial business space? Uh, or and, and was it was the intention to start, you know, a business with that kind of creative intention, or did it kind of just birth and spawn into you know something organically? Birth and Spawn, that's my law firm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, really, uh, I had no master plan. Uh, it's just that I like doing things and like doing stuff. You know, I always liked drawing. I always liked writing stories. Uh, but probably my first entrepreneurial venture, I actually had a movie theater in my basement. Uh, and so I would design these, uh, posters, put them up around the neighborhood. Uh, my dad would buy these tins of popcorn. And I think he always wondered how would it go through so much popcorn? And so it was a very low overhead for me because I get lunch bags, fill them with the popcorn and sell the popcorn for, you know, 10 cents a bag or whatever. Uh, and it's funny, you know, in thinking about this, I would take my sister's portable stereo and I had a tape recorder and I would tape record music and create a soundtrack because the films weren't sound films. I didn't have a 16 millimeter sound projector. I had a super eight. And so I would create soundtracks, put in sound effects. And I remember sitting uh, in front of an editing console 20 some years later and thinking, wow, this is what I did. Well, I was a kid, you know, because I was editing and sound mixing and doing all of that stuff. And that led me to a particular insight, which is, I think, a really important question to ask yourself is what do you love doing? You know, what is it that excites you? What do you what do you feel most engaged? What do you do that time passes and you're not even aware of it because you're so into it? Mm. And uh I realized at that moment, it was a real epiphany. You know, I realized, God, you know, when I was like 10, I was doing this and except for my sister yelling at me for taking her stereo, it was really fun. And I dug doing it. And uh, there I was making a living doing that 20 some years later. So it was kind of cool to realize and connect those dots. But I think that's a really important question for entrepreneurs to ask themselves, but everyone to ask themselves is, what do you love doing? What really gets your heart beating in a great way? What puts a smile on your face or makes you just concentrate because you're so into it? And uh, 
if you can make a living at that, that's joyful. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you talk a lot about that in, you know, your, your new book. Um, and I think a lot of people have some of those same challenges in life of, I feel like I have to do a lot of these things, but really I would love to, or I want to do some of these other things. How do people bridge that gap, right? In terms of like taking an idea and picking the right idea and really leaning into bringing that idea into something that, you know, can come to fruition and and create a, a career or an opportunity for them. Well, of course, that's the multi-million dollar question, right? Uh, you know, how do you do that? And I think, first of all, it's discovering what it is that you like doing. I think if you start from the premise, how can I make a lot of money? You're going to be on a frustrating journey. Mm-hmm. And I also think that these days, there's a lot of mythology around being an entrepreneur. Tell me more. And most people don't realize that it's hard. It's you hard, know, yeah. and, and, you know, they want to put out this picture on social media of how, wow, this is fabulous. And, you know, uh, that, yeah, I, you know, control my own time. Uh, and it's, you know, all the decisions are mine and, uh, yeah, it's great. Well, being an entrepreneur is really hard and it's, uh, a roller coaster ride. And sometimes the highs are really high and they're really fun. And sometimes the lows are really lows, but you're going to experience those. So the question is, how do you cope? Right. And aside from how do you cope, you better be committed to what it is you're doing and be clear as to why you're doing it. Because there are going to be those days that you question, uh, why the fuck did I get involved with this? Literally, <laughs> this is a I, lot. I, I had one last week, man. <laughs> right. I had one last week. Literally, it was one of those things where it was, you know, I, I love what I do. And even when you love what you do, when you hit those roadblocks or you bang your head up against that ceiling, it's like, man, should I just like, what am I, why am I putting myself through this? Should I just go and do something, you know, that's easier or more safe or right? And it's all so like, how do you cope? Well, I guess, you know, I've been, I've all pretty much always been an entrepreneur. Uh, and I guess it's because I'm fundamentally unemployable. So I better start my own business. Yep. Uh, but I've always had an idea. And not to say, by the way, the idea doesn't change, but I've always had the idea of, you know, wanting to do my own business. Now, I come by that very honestly. My, parents, uh, both my mom and dad are entrepreneurs and they owned a retail business together. And I grew up in a household hearing my mom and dad talk about business and make business decisions. There was, uh, no power struggle. You know, they both were very much involved in that. And, uh, and it was really looking back, I, you know, it was just my life when I was a kid. I didn't, really know anything. Right. But as I look back on it, I realize how fortunate I was that my parents were entrepreneurial, that they didn't hide anything from me or my sister. And my sister also has her own business. So we grew up and that was very, very normal to us to, to start our own business and to do that. And I think it's because we saw the behaviors that uh, my parents not knowingly but modeled. 
Mm. where you share in the decision-making that gender is not an issue. It's about intelligence. You know, that's what's important. And, uh, you know, cause I know a lot of, a lot of guys that had problems with women who were in powerful positions. I didn't, I grew up seeing that. Right. You know, that wasn't a thing to me. And, uh, you know, so it's 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 really interesting. So I think that with myself, first of all, I had I grew up in a very supportive uh, way in terms of expressing my ideas and going out and trying to do things. So, you know, after I had my movie theater for a, a summer, you know, I got a paper route. Those don't exist anymore. You know, you could do that or be a blacksmith. And uh, but you know, having a paper route gave me incredible training because I had to buy the papers wholesale, sell them at retail and collect from my clients once a week. You know, so it was really interesting. Again, did I really realize that when I was a kid? You know, when I, no, I didn't realize that. But looking back as I've, you know, sort of created my own life narrative, you know, because we all do that looking back, not looking forward often. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I, I saw things sort of just going in a particular direction, that I learned things. And I believe if you pay attention, everything you do informs everything else you do. Mm. So whether it was making the, you know, doing the movie theater in the basement and buying refreshments that I had to sell at a higher price so I could afford to buy them again and then make money, renting the films, having to pay for the film rental, you know, and doing all of that. But then also taking it a step further and learning some of the creative skills like the sound mixing, like designing the posters and that kind of thing, that all informed things I did later. Doing the paper out, it was the same kind of thing. I learned that you got to buy something for less money than you sell it if you hope to stay in business. And what are margins? Well, that's the difference between the wholesale and the retail. How do you collect the money and make sure that you get paid? You know, it's oftentimes easier to close a sale than it is to collect you know, the money on it. Right. So a lot of those early life experiences that I had, uh, as I look back, uh, really informed me and educated me. And so that also factored into one other area. When you say, how do you know if you're going in the right direction or whatever? It's number one, your ability to take risk. But before you can know that, you have to know how to assess risk. Mm. You know, what is this going to do? And when you're a kid, you don't think about risk. Right. You know, it's not like I'm going to lose the house. You know, my parents were taking care of that. It's not like I wasn't going to eat. My parents paid for that. But you start to learn whether it's, you know, you start to learn the different things that help you move your enterprise forward. So putting up the posters in more in a wider swath of the neighborhood, you know, trying to get a larger paper route, all of those kinds of things, which are kind of kid things to do, you know, also mowed lawns and shoveled driveways. It was a classic Midwestern upbringing. I grew up in Ohio, but all of those things looking back actually made a difference. It wasn't just this, you know, when it snowed and there, and there was no school that day, my neighbor and I looked at it as, out of sight, man, we can make some money today, you know, and we would go shovel driveways. And back then, each of us were probably 
14, 15, making 50 bucks each. That was a lot of money then. That would be like making $500 now, you know, and it was just kind of cool. And there was a great satisfaction in doing that. Yeah. With the awareness piece that I keep kind of hearing you go back to, right, of really, you know, being aware and, you know, kind of using that awareness to help you identify kind of what breadcrumbs, you know, and stepping stones to follow along the path and forming, you know, those next decisions. How do you, you know, see this creative process and and career landscape today as a really great opportunity for entrepreneurs being that I think many of us, like you said, you know, you got to know how to cope, you know, we're as entrepreneurs, it it is very hard, right? We're kind of gluttons for punishment and you got to, you know, be battle tested and build that grit and have that stamina and stay persistent and commit to that process. What are some of the exciting opportunities you see in this, you know, landscape today that maybe some people are overlooking or it's not as talked about or highlighted, you know, obviously we know the, the downsides and some of the risks that go with it, but what are some of the exciting opportunities that you see? Well, before I answer that, I want to touch on a word that you mentioned that I use over and over in my class, and that is the perseverance that you mentioned. If you don't have perseverance, you're never going to make it as an entrepreneur, you know, and that's such a necessary character trait. Absolutely. That, you know, when you get knocked down, you get back up. You know, that you have to keep moving forward and realize, and I much rather like fall forward than not back on my ass. Right. You know, because at least I'm trying to move forward and I can learn from whether it's the mistakes that I made or whatever. And when I mentioned assessing risk, you realize how to assess risk because, you know, on the one to 10, one being essentially no risk at all and 10 being catastrophic life messing up kind of a problem. Most things we deal with are threes, you know, fours. They aren't that big a deal, but in the moment they seem to loom large. And so I think it's really important to have perspective uh, on what that is and what that risk is. In terms of the specific things that you ask, I have no idea. Uh, Because I only go after what's interesting to me, what I not what I think is a money-making opportunity. Hmm. So, you know, I've I've been around that since the beginning of cryptocurrency. It never made sense to me. And, uh, you know, my kids are old enough. They said, Dad, what do you think of cryptocurrency and all that? And I said, I don't invest in anything I don't understand. And I don't understand that. That doesn't mean that people won't make money on it. But to me, it's like a game of hot potato. Yeah. You know, how do you get it out of your hands, you know, when you've made some money as opposed to holding it and getting burned, which is what's happened to a lot of people in the last few months. Yeah. And so, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, crypto is really depressed. Well, it's more depressed now than it was. But people talk about crypto. I don't claim to know what it is. I am no expert on it. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm saying I don't understand it. So I don't invest in things I don't understand just because a lot of people are hyping it. Same things with NFTs. I don't get it. Okay. And I've spoken to really smart people who don't get it. And I've spoken to people that are very high on it 
And I don't understand what the there there is. So again, I'm not claiming that I'm an expert or really know. I'm just saying I stay away from that stuff because the main selling point is you got to make a fucking fortune, man. Do you know how much I have a friend that made $300,000, you know, and mm, I don't know. And so I only get involved with things that I care about and that I can have some kind of an insight on that attracts me to it. So, you know, making films, writing a play, writing a book, teaching. I love doing all those things. And that's what I concentrate on. So could I have, if I had started really early, like some people did in cryptocurrency, could I have maybe made a fortune that? Maybe. But I stay away from things that I don't understand. Makes total sense. I'd love to know some of the things that you do like investing in, but more so, and that might align with this question that I'm going to ask you of, you know, you understand writing, you understand teaching and educating and, you know, plays. And um, I think, you know, obviously having successful books and authorship, you know, what are some of the things in, in that space that you think is a great opportunity for people that are passionate about some of those things that you have one great success in and a ton of, you know, passion um, and interest in, in those particular vehicles. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. If you're a driven entrepreneur, CEO, or investor, you know that it can often be a lonely road to live a life that most people just can't relate to, especially as you become more and more successful. And when I was building my business and looking to grow my wealth and take it to the next level, I really knew that I needed to level up my circle and who I surrounded myself with, but I just didn't know where to find them. And that's where GoBundance came in. GoBundance is a mastermind group that was created for men who want to experience world-class adventure, bucket list trips, high-minded conversations, authentic relationships and to do those in an environment where you can learn and grow with others who are looking to level up in the same areas of life just like you. And not only did GoBundance help me grow my net worth by being around other high-minded CEOs and investors, year after year, it continues to empower me to become a better man, a better husband, a better father, a friend, and a leader across the board. And if you want to get more info on our next upcoming event, text the word millionaire to 844-447-1555. That's millionaire to 844-447-1555. Do you have an investment portfolio and wonder if your financial advisor is overcharging you? Is your money properly allocated where it should be based on what goals you're trying to achieve? If you're not 100% confident in these answers, then don't forget to take advantage of your free financial x-ray by texting the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. You will receive a full financial audit on your investment portfolio and get all the answers to your financial questions so that you can rest assured that your investing decisions are actually aligned with your best interests and the future that you're looking to build. Get started today by texting the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555. Well, I think, you know, my first adult business, which makes it sound like I was in the porn industry. (laughs) (laughs) When I was in the adult business, uh, is that, uh, you know, I started, my first business was designing. I was a fashion designer. A friend of mine called me up. He had graduated from, from college a year before I did. And he said, can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? I've saved up some money. 
And I was working in a small boutique. We sold rolling papers, you know, at the checkout counter, you know, and hash pipes. But, you know, cool stuff. And I was the buyer for the store. And Madison, University of Wisconsin, which is where I went to college, was a destination for rock bands because it was a big campus, big audience. So, you know, the rock stars would come in and buy some of the stuff. It was cool. It was a cool place. So when my friend said, can you think of something? I thought of, well, I see what we sell. I could always draw. I'll start a clothing company. Now, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, but, you know, within a week, I had a, had a check, uh, which was more money than I had ever had at one time. And uh, neither one of us are clear at this point, whether it was $1,500 or $2,500. But suffice to say, there's not much of a difference between those two when you're starting a business. Sure. It's, it's a week, you know. Uh, but what I did is design some things that had some of the people who did alterations for the store sell up my designs. So I was able to put them out on the retail floor. They sold out quickly, had more made, sold out quickly again. So what did I learn from that? Proof of concept. There were actually people that were willing to pay for those creations that I designed. Mm -hmm. So proof of concept is really important. So if you have an idea for a business, is there any way that you can test it? What's the competitive landscape for it? What makes what you're doing or offering unique? Whether it's a thing or a service or whatever, what makes that unique? Why would people want to spend their money? And try to learn from people who actually are paying for it. You know, when your friends or your parents say, oh, that's really cool, that's really cool. Well, they're not paying for it. Right. And you need people that are willing to spend money on what it is you're offering. So, you know, with my play, you wonder, well, how do you do any proof of concept with something like that? Well, you start very small. You do a table reading and you invite some people and you start seeing what people's reactions to it are. And then you refine it. And like what we did is after we had done a table reading, some months later, I'd raised a bit of money. We did what was called a 29-hour, which is an actor's equity designation, which means that you've got 29 hours with the actors, which includes performances if you're going to do any. So you do very basic notes on the script in rehearsal. And we did uh, two performances in front of audiences. Uh, the response was really good. And so that enabled me to raise money to do a workshop, which was a much bigger production. And each step established proof of concept. And that enabled me to raise more money. And the interesting thing is, and this is true whether you're doing a play or you're launching an app or whatever it is, is early on, it's really hard to get investors. That's why most people start with, you know, friends and family and that sort of thing, because it's, mm -hmm. it's really hard to do. And, uh, but when you get people who are willing to invest, that gives you the opportunity to put it in front of a larger audience. And when we did the table read and then we did that 29-hour, getting the audience that we wanted, the people who were professional theater investors and stuff like that was really tough. When we did the workshop, by that point, we had survived long enough that there was some talk about the play and people's curiosity was peaked because most plays don't make it past the 29 hour stage. 
So from the workshop, I then had to raise substantially more money. And we had our first commercial run this past March. So, you know, it was really cool. We had a world premiere and now it's getting much bigger and we hope to be opening. The plan is it will be opening in Chicago in spring of 23. So each step along the way involved proof of concept. The longer you exist, the more seriously you're taken by potential investors. I love it. Now you talked about, I think there's two things that come to mind for me, which is raising money obviously, right? Getting people to invest in your vision and your idea, whether that's with money, you know, and, and that particular resource or, or people, right? Being, having great team members and, you know, individuals that want to collaborate and invest time into your vision. How have you been able to go about raising money and collaborating with the right people to continue to elevate and level up your idea and further it to that you know, next tier of success? Well, that's a great question, Matt, because that's the key to any business. You know, especially when you're starting out, how do you attract the people you hope to attract when you can't really afford to pay them their market value? Right. Now, there are some people that are just not going to be interested. There are other people that are seduced by the challenge and the idea. And want to come on board in some way because that lights their fire. You know, so you have to, of course, find the right people that can enlist what you're doing. The first thing that I did, aside from raising a bit of money, was I wanted to put together an A-level team from the Mm get-go. Because I knew, for instance, in theater, I had no reputation. Nobody knew who I was. I hadn't done anything. And so I wanted to surround myself with people that people had heard of that were really good. Now, I was able to do that because people really responded to the script. But once you start attracting even that first person who's got a reputation and so on, you find good people through other good people. Yeah. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast, And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst, 
50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. And so you start working that kind of, let's call it networking. So when I hired, the first person I hired was a general manager who handles the finances and that sort of thing, does the budgeting. Uh, Then when I got a director who I really liked, uh, he said to me, there's this musical director that I've worked with who's fantastic. I think he would really like this play. Would you like to meet him? And the answer, of course, was yes. And he's been with me since the beginning now, too. So, you know, finding good people through other good people is really critical. There's no magic in it. You know, and I think that the harder you try to sell somebody, the less likely you are to attract anybody who is sophisticated with money. Right. And one of my investors is very sophisticated with money. Uh, who, by the way, I did not even think he would be an investor. Uh, he was just, you know, we're, we were friends. And he said, uh, so what are you working on that, like the question you asked me that you're excited about? And I told him about the play. And he said, oh, what's that about? I said, well, rock and roll Hall of Fame legend Lloyd Price. Uh, he discovered Little Richard and Wilson Pickett. And he broke down the color wall in music in 1952. And this, this story is amazing and all of that. He said, uh, you have anything I could see? And I had a little teaser video from the workshop we did. He said, that's cool. What kind of investment is theater? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, is it a, a good investment? I said, good, depends on how you define good. If you mean good, you're sure to return money and possibly high multiples. No, it's a crappy investment. You know, the, the numbers are not with it. You know, this, is there a chance that you can have a very high multiple return? The answer is yes. But it takes a long time to recoup. It's uh, most plays fail. So if you're looking for certainty, you know, invest in a treasury note. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you're looking for something that would be a really fun ride, has that possibility, realizing how small that is, but you're in it for the thrill of it, that you love theater, that the whole idea is really seductive and exciting, but only invest what you can afford to lose that causes you absolutely no pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, anyhow, that person ended up being one of my largest investors. And I was stunned because, you know, when I, when I said to me, when I said to him, it's not a good investment. If you're looking for a solid, safe investment, and then he goes, well, you're certainly a negative salesperson, aren't you? And I said, you know, I, I'm honest. I'm honest, you know, and I have always found that not selling is the most effective way to sell. Because also people who have money, especially potential substantial investors, they could smell your desperation. Mm-hmm. If you're really hungry for the money, uh, they can sense it. And that's off-putting in a very primal kind of a way because it's like you, you, you feel that fear. And uh, my attitude is you're not the only person that's going to be interested. And I know that I have something really good. And I think that people ultimately 
invest not in the idea, but in the belief that your combination of passion, talent, and intelligence will help you execute. Mm. So I don't think it's as much about the idea that people invest in, you invest in the team. Can they actually deliver on the promise? Because I mean, what ideas out there that's all that special? There aren't really any. They're all iterations on something that already existed. Yep. But when you couple that with a passion for the idea and assembling, which I have done, a fantastic team of talent, I and mean, people are wondering, how, how, how do you attract these people? I've got like multiple Tony Award winners and Drama Desk Award winners and Emmy winners associated with the play. How did he get them? You know, and so there's a curiosity around that, that, you know, maybe with all this horse shit, there's a horse somewhere, you know, uh, and, and that's what it is. So I think it's, it's establishing your proof of concept to get back to your question is establishing your proof of concept through getting it in front of people who have to pay for it one way or the other uh, and establishing a team that can lead you to other good people. And just like the team that can lead you to other good, talented people, people who have enough money to invest have friends who have enough money to invest. And you hope to get them sufficiently seduced. And they may not do it in that first round, but if you go to a next round and you survive that long, they might bring those people along or at least get you a hearing with those people so that they might invest in it. None of this that. stuff is magic and there's no like, and here's the five steps. To- yeah. It's messy, right? It's messy until, you know, and it, it's usually often not sexy until it looks sexy, but they don't realize everything that went into that. And I heard a lot of really cool nuggets in there in terms of, you know, I've always told people I've never been the fastest, smartest, or strongest. I'm just a really good worker, hard worker, and I'm good. That's surrounding myself with other people that are way smarter, faster, and stronger than I am in the areas that I need that type of support, right? And so you talked about selling them on that vision and being transparent about where your weaknesses are at and where certain strengths of others come into play and just consistently, right? Putting one foot in front of the other and people that are interested, they they are paying attention, whether they invest with you, like you said, right away. You know, they are paying attention if there's an interest level to see what you do. And as you not only sell, you know, you're not only the messenger kind of selling that message, but you actually are living it and it's getting a little bit more, you know, coming to life into fruition going forward. I think, you know, it's, it's a long, I always look at every relationship as the lifetime value of that relationship of, Hey, suitability. If this doesn't make sense for you right now, that's okay. I'm going to keep going down this path no matter what. And if you decide at some point, whether it's this opportunity or, you know, now we're at a later point in time, I'm not going anywhere. We can always keep that door open. And like you said, you know, not having that hard sell and being willing to always walk away and just keep going on to the next one. I think, right, that takeaway also gets people a little bit more intrigued that, you know, either paying attention or actually coming to the table and, you know, not sensing that desperation makes them want to be involved in something that, you know, you truly believe in, whether they're a part of it or not, you're going to keep doing it. Right. Right. And and, uh, you're absolutely right. And the thing about it is investors are individuals. 
So there are the people that want to get in early and are willing to take that flyer early. There are other people that, well, let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. And so it costs me nothing when I send out the updates of what's happening with the play. Costs me nothing to include that person in the update. Yeah. And I've had the real experience of then people investing over a year or so later in the next incarnation of the play. Right. So, you know, the worst thing is there are people that take it personally, you know, fuck, they didn't want to invest. Right. Well, fuck them, you know, and it's like, don't be stupid. This isn't personal, you know, and this is their process for making an investment decision. Respect their process, keep them aware, keep the door open and keep it friendly. Yeah. You know, uh, you're not going to be any worse off than you are right now. Yep. (laughs) Right. So keep them in the loop. Yeah. And I have been fortunate enough that there have been those people that there are the people who are really enthusiastic who end up doing absolutely nothing. And one of the keys are, and I've learned this going through this process the last several years, is, yeah, I'm really interested. I've got this deal I got to close. Once I close that deal, that's going to free up some funds. That deal never gets closed. Mm-hmm. So as soon as somebody's telling you that the investment is contingent on them closing out something else, yeah, politely end the meeting. You can still keep them in the loop if you want, but you're never going to get that money. That's not happening. I have learned that one many a times. I, would, <laughs> you know, when uh, when someone tells me. You know, they've raised X dollars for their investment, you know, whether it's a, you know, big apartment building or a hotel or, you know, because that's my world that I play in. Um, it's always funny, right? Because, well, I've got, you know, 8 million raised. Well, how much do you actually have committed? Oh, well, I've got four committed. Uh, you know, they're going to be closing deals out and it's not, okay, well, once the wire hits and you got the money in the account, then it's real. But I love that, you know, point because I think, you know, that's that's an important thing to to note. I'm curious on your vision what is the you know ultimate success for this play where where do you in the perfect world you know where would you love to see it go well i'd love to see it on broadway that's the real crowning jewel that's also the highest cost and highest risk uh but if you have even a moderate success on broadway you can then tour a show Mm. and negotiate really good touring terms uh, if the show's got some real strength to it, uh, you might have seven touring companies. Those are all revenue streams. So, you know, ideally for me is that there's multiple companies and we do the film version of it. And, uh, you know, that would be, and a soundtrack album and, uh, the music's great. And that's all would be really cool. Uh, but you know, it's also, it, it, it's having the vision of where you want it to go and realizing its steps along the way to get to that vision. And in almost all cases, nobody gets back to you as quickly as you would like. Yep. Nobody makes decisions as quickly as you would like. And you just have to realize that's part of the process. So that also means that person may seem very positive, very favorable and all that, but you need to keep shopping. Yep. Because until you have a commitment and until that commitment manifests in the money in the bank, 
you got nothing. Yeah, very true. So talk to me real quick. I want to make sure we touch on, you know, creative careers and making a living with your ideas. You know, why, why write the book? What, what, what were your intentions behind that? So I teach this class at Parsons School of Design in New York City. And uh, Parsons is, is considered one of the top design schools in the world. And especially for fashion design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bring in people every week, uh, incredible cross-section of people from uh, musicians and actors to writers to entrepreneurs. So I've had people, Damon John has done my class. Uh, Michael Era, who designed the 9-11 Memorial, did my class. Uh, David Gallo, who's a six-time Tony Award-winning set designer. Uh, I've had amazing amazing range of people who have done my class. So it's great for me, just like you doing podcasts. You hope that you meet people that are interesting and enrich your life. Absolutely. Same thing with that and enriching the life of the students. And people would say to me, wow, it's a shame more people aren't hearing what's going on in here because this class is really cool. And we get into good stuff, you know, really good stuff. And uh, so I thought, you know, well, what's a way to reach more people? The book. And how about distilling the best of the best in terms of the interviews that I've done, but embedding that into my own narrative so that, you know, it, it, again, it is not prescriptive. It's not like here's the seven steps to success, which I think are all horseshit anyhow. And it's, it's about, well, here's how this person approached it. And this person approached it from a totally different angle. And that worked. What resonates? What am I comfortable with? What can I do? And at the end of each chapter, just like in the class, there are questions that if you're reading a book, you ask yourself. And what I found was a great benefit is a lot of people started keeping a separate journal because there wasn't enough space in the book to write their answers if they were really into it. And they ended up with a kind of a journal that was they kept referring back to, which was pretty cool. So I wanted to reach a larger audience because I think that good ideas should be spread. And the book, because of the wonderful guests that I've had, there's a lot of really great ideas that seem to inform, entertain, and inspire people. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll be sure to link that up in the show notes for anybody that wants to check out Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. I want to wrap up with uh, some creative questions with you. what are, I, I love New York City. So what are some of the things that you love doing in New York City during the summertime? I love walking the city. And uh, I have uh, an Instagram site. It's just Jeff underscore Madoff. And I take pictures every day of just New York City life. It's, 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 I started this just for my own enjoyment to keep my visual chops going. Uh, people seem to enjoy it and it's just cool. And I love every day taking long walks in the city and taking pictures. It's love just it. really cool. And the thing that's great about New York, since people walk, is you bump into friends on the street. So as big as New York City is, it's a series of small neighborhoods. I'm on the Upper West Side. Friends live in Chelsea. Friends live on the Lower East Side. It's all over the place. And, you know, that doesn't happen when you're anchored to a car. But when you're walking around, you bump into friends. Uh, you see somebody sitting in a restaurant as you walk 
walk by and wave and end up talking. And this, I just, I just love that. So every day in a city to me is cool. And then when we go out, uh, we can go listen to music, eat at a great restaurant and walk all those places. What's your favorite restaurant? I don't have a favorite uh, because I try to explore different kinds of places uh, and a favorite chef of mine just started at a new restaurant, which I haven't gone to yet. Uh, My guess is that'll be one of my favorites, you know, because that's just so good. When Uh, someone comes to visit you, where do you take them to eat? Depends on what kind of food they like. So, yeah, because there's everything here. So there's a great neighborhood restaurant called Celeste on the Upper West Side. Cash only, no reservations. And the owner who's That's an what I'm interesting, talking about. yeah, is an interesting character because uh, it's really, it's, it's fascinating. He and I get along, right? So he'll suggest things, not as a salesman. Yeah, I want you to try, you know, that kind of thing. And because it's always extraordinarily good, I always go with what he suggests. So it's fun. And I think, by the way, that's another key for entrepreneurs. No matter what form your selling is, be it in person, online, or whatever, make your customers feel welcome. Mm. That's a huge plus. Yeah. You know, in doing that. I mean, you you're in real estate, right? Yep. I mean, it's it's the same thing because the first thing you have to establish before people want to do business with you is that you're trustworthy. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite investment that you've ever made over the course of your investing history? Uh, investing the time to build the relationships mm. that I have because that's where the real currency in life is with my family, with my closest friends. Uh, and, you know, one of my, the, the guy who called me up who uh, said, I've saved up money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? His mom and my mom grew up together. So I don't even remember not knowing him. And so I think that the greatest investment that gives the greatest, most fulfilling return is the integrity and the maintenance of those relationships in your life. That's a beautiful answer right there. Everybody's solving for a different definition of wealth. And I always love to just know, you know, what is your definition of wealth that you think, you know, is the most rich and fulfilling, you know, answer to that question? Well, I'll give you two answers because I essentially gave you the answer previously, which is the real wealth is in the relationships that you have and maintain. Mm -hmm. And on a business level, to me, uh, wealth is the ability to say no without any catastrophic financial circumstances. Mm. Jeff, it's been a beautiful conversation with you, brother. When I am in New York City, I want to go to Celeste. I want to enjoy a nice meal with you. You're on. You're on. Have some great conversation to continue this. And uh, we will be sure to link up all the um, resources for Jeff's book. And Jeff, uh, you noted your handle. Is there anywhere else that they can find you or if they want to connect with you that they can go ahead and do that at? Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you go to LinkedIn, be Jeffrey Madoff, uh, you'll also see clips from my class and you'll hear you know, what some of these people have to say in class that's 
pretty cool. And there's also an Instagram site, which is at a creative career. And again, it's got quotes from the class and that sort of thing. And Madoff Productions, which is my video production site. Well, guys, go and check out Jeffrey Madoff, all kinds of cool content, especially for those that are entrepreneurs that have that creative you know, side to them. Um, excited to read Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, Matt. I enjoyed it. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.